Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that people have just stopped talking about for whatever reason. I mean, they, there are people still talking about them. We're talking about them, but they don't get talked about as much as they once were. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today, we have a really interesting couple of films to talk about. One that is very heartwarming and robotic, this- and the other that is just, I, I really don't know how to describe American movie. Uh, that is obviously one of the two films that we're going to be talking about today. The, the 1999 documentary question yeah. mark yeah. <laughs> uh, about an independent film in the making. And then we also have uh, the wonderful recent film, which I almost feel like it's an overdue rental out the gate because of the limited release it got, Brian and Charles. Yeah. And uh, linking those two films is our dear guest this week, one David Earl. Yes, the fantastic David Earl, you know, who is somebody who, and we'll talk to him. So, you know, if you don't know him by name, which I'm sure a lot of you should, um, you know, as I bring up, as, as I'm probably going to bring up to him, a lot of people know David Earl, probably not as far as outside the UK, who don't know they know David Earl. Because if they watch any of Ricky Gervais's uh, shows, extras, um, Afterlife, Derek, all those shows, you've seen David Earl, you know who he is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was really happy to, to talk to him, let alone forget Brian and Charles. I just, I just love David Earl and a lot of the stuff he does. So it was, it was really great to have him uh, come on and talk to us. Oh, yeah. No, he's an absolutely fantastic guest. I mean, as I am wont to say from time to time, I, I don't think we've ever had a bad guest or a bad show on here. Of course. But I just, you know, I, I love our guests in their own special ways. And, and David is just... Well, as you are about to hear in a little while, uh, he's just a great time, very warm and very conversational. So, uh, well, I mean, he did he did uh, co-write and star in Brian and Charles, which you know is a movie about a uh, troubled soul inventor, I guess, kind of a lonely man, uh, you know, in in a in a, in a countryside town who uh, in, <laughs> invents a lot of stuff, but it's all these kind of non-workable or outrageous things that don't go anywhere uh, until one day he accidentally um you know creates a, a living robot as <laughs> one is wont to do in these these trying times you just accidentally create a robot with some pretty interesting sentience to it yeah and then as, as you said earlier american movie you know documentary oh, that's about, gonna be uh, so much fun to dig into yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just get into that later because i think you, i think you, you you gave a pretty good description earlier so i think with that let's get david in here to talk about both of these yes ladies and gentlemen without further ado please welcome david earl to the overdue rentals rental counter thank you so much for joining us it's fantastic to have you here especially since both mike and i love both your all your work and especially brian and charles oh, really? oh thank you oh, i'm glad you like it yeah well you know it's funny I saw the film at Sundance and I met, you know, with me, I'm the kind of person that I don't want to know about a movie before I see it. I want to be going as blind as I can. Right. And so when the festivals roll around and I'm trying to decide what I'm covering, I'll look at the descriptions as quick as I can with trying to read the synopsis without really reading it. Look yeah. for people who I'm interested in. So yeah, I saw your name. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. It's, it's David Earl. And, but what pulled me in, I have to say, is that at first glance, Charles looked like you were making a robot out of Jim Broadbent for a second. Yeah. And I was, was that, was it, was there like a specific design or you just pulled out the pieces that you needed to build it and that was it? No, well, it was Chris who's in it. 
Chris Hayward, who yeah. wrote, I wrote it with, he he built Charles. He's to blame. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he just when he first heard me as Brian talking to Charles on my radio show, he thought Charles sounded like some kind of old professor. Mm. So he uh, he just stuck a little bit of grey hair on a bald head, and away we go. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, a lot of people said Jim Broadbent. But... Okay, it is okay. It's not just me then. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. Quite a few people. I imagine Jim Broadbent's gutted. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I definitely felt that while seeing the movie, it didn't feel that way. It was just that initial image kind of yeah. grabbed me and felt it because you know it was also tiny at the time because it was on the on the the uh, the page for the the festival, and I'm like, it just like I had I had to like, there's no way I'm not seeing it. Right. Okay. I mean, I kind of feel like that. I sort of thinking of other movie ideas, and I'm like, well, it hasn't got a bald robot in it, so what's the point of writing it? So. <laughs> So I re- yeah, I really like Charles. I'd plonk him in any old film. Yeah. Well, was the, when it came to the short, was it the idea of making the short as proof of concept to make the feature, or did it come later on that this was going to build out? Yeah, we just made the short. We've been doing the characters live at festivals and live gigs in pubs, and, and we were sort of running out of steam. And um, we just thought, let's just capture them. Let's just sort of immortalise it. Because we loved... Charles and we like their little relationship so we just thought let's just make this thing stick it on YouTube and move on to the next project mm. at, least, at least it exists and then we weren't expecting any response at all maybe a couple of friends might go oh that was good fun but yeah we had no plans to uh, make anything bigger yeah so then when when kind of that word came calling then that you, somebody wanted you to do something with it was it something where you had to fight also to like oh, well, Jim's got to direct the feature or no, it was easy just to like keep going with the three of you as the core. Yeah, well, Film 4 didn't ask for it. They were they were keen on Jim to do it. And um, yeah, we, we, we just wanted to do it. We wanted to not sort of break what we had. We we're all friends. And I don't think that'll happen again. I, I hope it does, <laughs> but yeah, we we're all really close friends. I mean, I, I sort of met Jim really on the short, but you know, we've become good friends. So there's four of us sharing a flat together, making a feature film. It's like, what? When does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh feel really, really lucky. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting too, when I, when I was watching it, because there's something about, there's something about character types that you see in other films or other mediums, but when they're done right, it's just so special. And I, I'm surprisingly talking about Eddie, because to me, even though he is this cruel kind of person who thinks that he owns everything, he has that fe- that bully feeling where he still feels he's part of the community, like that he's a kind of buddy with people. Oh, good. Do you know, we, we had a little backstory for him and Brian. Um, there's a connection between him, Brian, and um, Eddie's wife, and we just dumped it. We got rid of it in the edit. Mm. Because we were like... This is his role in the movie, and these people exist. And I sort of don't care about his backstory. This is, we all know this sort of person. And so um, I'm glad you feel like, I think Jamie played it so well. It's so, yeah, so natural and scary and aggressive. And yeah, it's based on this um, documentary, uh, this couple in this documentary, British documentary in the early 90s or mid 90s, set on a housing estate. And these guys are kind of 
one would really bully the other and then they'd sort of hang out and have a drink and then the next scene he'd be punching him it was just really disturbing but um so we kind of took bits from that and and we did have actually have a scene where they were drinking together and sort of mm. getting on the, but we just chopped exits we felt like we had to get on with the story yeah it still it still felt like those things bled in which which is great which means which shows a lot for what you guys did in the end oh great great yeah, because there's a scene where Brian goes to see him at the end of the film. Brian's got his pinecone bag, and in there he's got like snacks and beers for Eddie, and they sort of have a <laughs> have a little bit mix together. <laughs> but we cut that bit out. Yeah. Well, to that point, uh, I think Matt, you pretty much gave me the perfect phrase to to sort of explain what I feel about this movie because bled in really is something that describes like this is just it's sci-fi but it's just one step removed where it's like not so fantastical that you can't engage with it. And this is just one of the most humane and one of the, I dare I say, coziest like robot movies I've seen. And I just, I really enjoy Brian and Charles as these beautiful friends. Oh, thank you. Also the sort of allegory for, for parenthood that kind of slips in there too. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of came in late actually that, Charles evolution but um we came up with that and then my son at the time was sort of in his sort of 15 and so I had quite a lot to pull from in fact he came to watch the premiere last Saturday in London and uh he's 20 now and uh he was just kept leaning and going that's us that's mm. us. yeah that's saying that yeah he's, he's yeah 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 um so hopefully, hopefully that grounds grounds it a bit. Yeah. Mm. I, I also have to ask, uh, again, going back to some of the you know aesthetics of it, because in a lot of ways I felt like Brian's kind of like isolated hood yeah. was a lot of ways almost felt like it was like an astronaut's, you know, like costume or protective gear in a way, more so than for weather. Yeah. Well, um our co- we had a brilliant costume department and they they sort of found these photos of these inventors and one of them was this guy in an all blue sort of boiler suit and he had this i just it's had such a good look i was like i've got to bung that on my head yeah <laughs> and i hadn't i felt like i hadn't seen it before yeah and uh yeah but it's sort of yeah it works with him wanting to hide away from the world even more yeah yeah and it, again, it's just there's you there's a there's probably a version of this that if this was a if this was a a foreign language film like another round someone would probably say I want to remake that and then they would just sap the joy and just the charm out of it if they did it the wrong way yeah. and there's so many ways where you could amp things up to a certain point yeah it would be a more zany movie like was there yeah. any was there ever a moment that you felt had to be scaled down or, or scaled up? In, uh, uh, yeah, I remember one, I remember going to the costume with Jim and they'd made a costume or two where I was like, oh, no, 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 we can't go down that route. It was, it was, in fact, we did use it. It's when he's riding his, that Brian's teaching him to ride a bike in the montage. It just felt a little bit too wacky. So we used it, but just did it for a brief moment. Um, yeah, we just wanted to keep everything as small and uh, yeah, treating the whole story as seriously as possible and as true to life as we possibly could. Yeah, 
Uh, when we were, I think we were editing it or the last few months, we, ha- we heard that Tom Hanks movie, was it a movie or series coming out in Apple? On Apple? Uh, yeah, it was, it was like, it was a movie on Apple, right? Yeah. We were like, oh no, it sounds exactly the same. But then you, you know, you watch it, you go, no, it's just another way of doing that. that yeah. Story. Yeah. No, Finch is definitely like the Hollywood version where it's like, yeah. okay, who do we get to play the human? Tom yeah. Hanks. And yeah, and, and you know, when we went from the short to the feature, we were really sure that we didn't want to, you know, still wanted to, still wanted the audience to watch it going, well, that's just a bloke in a box. And to, just that kind of che- trying to get away with something and being a bit cheeky and hopefully them buying into the audience buying into it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of casting Jim Broadbent as the robot. Yeah. And building some sort of robot that looks like I'm not interested in that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, of course, here on Over to Rentals, we also like to talk about films that we think people have like once talked about a lot and don't talk about as much anymore. And so you had chosen to talk about American movie, which is a very interesting in, in a way for kind of the character type for it, whether, whether you want, you know, cause I know there was, there used to be a small argument that people thought American movie wasn't real, that it was, you know, a fake documentary in a way. And so even if that were the case, you know, looking at Mark and Brian in a lot of ways, I can see why this kind of fits in. Is there a reason why American movie means so much to you? I think cause he's just like a mirror to me. Uh, uh, to begin with, when I first watched it, you know, I, I was laughing a lot, and I was like, "Why am I laughing? That's why am I feeling uneasy?" And so I was because I'm looking at me, I'm mm-hmm. looking at me trying to write stuff, trying to make stuff, and I'm trying to, I'm sort of pointing the finger, going, "Ha ha, you can't do it," and then going, "Actually, I can't do it either." So, <laughs> like, we're all sort of flailing around in the dark trying to make stuff, and um, yeah. And it's just such a sweet movie. And it's just so funny. The characters in it are so sweet and loving. And But it's that thing of just trying to create things and not knowing what the hell you're doing. It feels like it's just guesswork all the time. And uh, also just, this is one of those sort of hallmark examples of the indie boom of the late nineties, early aughts, because you had movies like this and you know anything from the Miramax table. Like these were the movies that really you could generate a lot of buzz and get this into a theater and yeah. get this picked up by a studio. I mean, I'm just thinking about how you would even go about making this now. Yeah. Yeah, no idea. That's a streamer. That's probably a Netflix movie. And as much as, as fun as Netflix can be, I love, I just love looking back at the fact that, you know, I was in my late teens going as sort of on the cusp of adulthood and all of these smaller movies were being advertised. All these studios had like independent stables and it was breathtaking and surprising. Yeah. And is it Chris Smith, the director? Wasn't he just at college with Mark Bullshot? And he just found him quite an interesting character so started filming him. Yeah, so something along those lines from what I understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just, it's endlessly quotable and and did you feel the same when you watched it? You're like, I'm just looking at me here. I mean, I mean, if someone asked me to make a short horror, I'd go, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd, I'd make the same movie, I think. I'll tell you what's funny, and this is kind of not off the mark, but in some ways going a little left field with it. Because I remember, I, you know, I went to film school. I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I was in school around early 2000 uh, doing a program at the New York Film Academy. 
uh, maybe it was, like, it was right before that, and because it was when the Royal Tannenbaums came out. And I remember I went into the city to see it because at the time it was, you know, it was only indie theaters, so I could go see it. And then I remember getting the, the, the Criterion Edition and watching it while I was in school and watching Wes Anderson. Granted, it's his third film, but it's still at this point, he's Wes Anderson now. But watching him question things the same way I question stuff as a film student kind of took me aback. And so I'm like, when you watch, when I watch American movie again, I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. The same things that Marker is asking, you know, the same thing Wes Anderson was asking on the Royal Tannenbaums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very yeah. interesting to kind of see how, no matter what level people are at, that they all kind of deal with the same thing. Yeah. And it's just get, it's sort of collecting, surrounding yourself with people who are very good at things. And um, hopefully as a team, as a gang, you can create something that's half decent together. But Mark <laughs> feels like he's doing everything himself. And uh, it's too, too much yeah, weight on his shoulders, which is, and seeing him getting stressed and angry and that sort of futility is, is just really funny. Yeah. You just Sorry. brought up two, two very personal points for me too, because it's like do, sometimes doing too much and getting a bit stressed. And then just, oh. I always feel that if you surround yourself with the right people, even if you just have like a small kernel of an idea of what you're doing, usually you, if you're open to it, that's a learning experience that opens your mind up to so many different things and you learn better that way. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think I felt in the early days that I had to sort of do everything myself. Yeah. The author's it's, vision. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, surround yourself with people way better than you that know what they <laughs> <laughs> know what they're doing and jump on there. Well, I was gonna say, with all that being said, did you see American Movie when it first came out or you caught it later on after the kind of buzz about it? I probably later, I, thought, I don't know when it came out, was it mid to late 90s? Late 99, I think, yeah. Yeah, I probably caught, caught it early 2000s. Okay, even still though, that's burgeoning the beginning of your career in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering if you think that if maybe you saw it after, not that you wouldn't have the same feelings about it, but maybe it wouldn't have meant as much. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, my yeah. When did I stop? My career sort of started two thousand and six, so I was absolutely, I absolutely connected with him in that he's drinking, he's in a dead end job, his parents are probably going, "What the hell is he doing with himself?" and wanting to prove people wrong, but not quite sure how to do that. And it's probably a thing that we all go through. And. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, his brothers in the movie, they're just, I think one of his brothers says at one point, I think his best suit is just working in a factory. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the first talking head. It's like, Jesus, that's your brother. He should be supporting you, yeah. Um, but there was a lot of connection there because I didn't start till I was 31, 32. So definitely my 20s were just, yeah, treading water and not knowing where I was going. There's always that harsh notion of like, I mean, even outside of, like in the film world, there's always been, you know, Orson Welles made Citizen Kane when he was in his 20s, early 30s. And if you're not at that point, but if you oh, really yeah. want to do this, you should be doing something else. And like, even in, just in life in general, there's that disconnect between, you know, the, the bounty of youth and then becoming an adult and finding your place professionally. Because there's always that little middle bit where it's like, okay, I really don't know what I'm doing. I have a degree, I have student debt, I need to pay both off and, and, and validate this, but how? Yeah, and sort of, I still feel like that. I'm still going, oh, right, so the film's done all right. Okay, well, what does that mean? What's next? So I've just got- Well, I get the Marvel movie next. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
Yeah, I mean, when you read about Spielberg making Jaws when he was sort of nine years old, and I was like, what? He's <laughs> <laughs> so focused. Yeah. But yeah. where does that fit in then to where, you know, now that you get something like Brian and Charles out to the world, because like, I think, and I, I bring this up a lot because I, as Mike knows, I, I'm obsessed more with British television and film than US. So I'm aware of your work with Joe Wilkinson and all these other things, but I think for I, a lot of Americans, they only know you through Ricky's uh, you know, stuff. And yeah. so now being able to get more of your own work to a wider audience is a feel that that has the opportunity to grow into more of those opportunities or doesn't matter as long as you have something that you enjoy doing, that's all that matters. Yeah, that's all that matters. Honestly, it's just paying the bills. It's just getting another idea away and paying the bills and having and enjoying it. I've, so, I've, I've learned the last two or three years, if you're gonna start a project, you gotta really bloody love it because if it, if it takes off, you've got to live with it for ages. Oh yeah. Yeah, so now I sort of only- Literally start... a kid. What's that? It's literally a kid. Yeah. It's a baby. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the writing process, writing lots of drafts and just filming, editing, just everything, you're living it with it for ages. So if, you, if you're not really passionate about it, don't even bother starting. So I've, I feel like I've learned that. So like the next thing we're doing, just waiting for that thing that really, well, there is one thing now, but just waiting for that thing that you want to live with for a few years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, I'm just, uh, just happy to be working. Just happy to be working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something that people definitely take too much for granted. Oh, well, I've, I mean, I, you know, 15 years ago, I, I have a memory of just, walking into my local shop with no money in my pocket, no money in my account, just absolutely nothing in the world. And so I have that fear, <laughs> I can't go back there. So just keep keep working, keep trying to create, yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. also again fits into the, you know, again, surrounding yourself with people who, I wouldn't necessarily better you, I understand what you're saying, but people who you can play with on the same field with and just create something brilliant out of it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, they, they bring their expertise and and skill and something that maybe you can't deliver. And yeah, so you just hopefully work together well. But yeah, um, I, was, I was just so chuffed with Brian that um, I've always tried to find the right project for him. And I feel like we've introduced him to the world and that's sort of, that's sort of him, sort of like a clumsy monkey clown. Yeah, that's who you know needs a bit of love so i feel like the world has seen the proper brian which is nice now yeah 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 use more characters like that to be honest <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah david thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it it's fantastic talking with you uh thanks again thank, thank you very you. much thanks for having me Cheers. come back soon <laughs> yeah thank you thanks for liking the movie have a Cheers. good one bye david Earl, ladies and gentlemen again just warm and just wonderful in conversation and it you know it, that just he proves his nature good good nature even further in the heart of brian and charles as far as i'm concerned because the film itself is very again i feel like this is a slightly more grown-up version of like a wallace and gromit story but it's not like <laughs> so severe and mature it's like it's just a little more removed from the fantastical but it's it's still that sort of comedic comedic ballywick so to speak yeah and, and i should and we we should say you know like 
going back to like, let's say apart from the movie really quickly, because talking about somebody who's very generous and nice and, and a lovely person to talk to, you know, we had originally set to talk to David at one date and it had to get moved because of um, a scheduling conflict on our side. And then we had David set to be on another date and something happened. And this is like the day before the movie came out that we were supposed to be. And uh, we don't know, he got, he got caught, you know, having to go work somewhere else. And so at that point, we didn't think we were even going to talk to him, but he came back and said, oh, hey guys, I still want to do this. Let's, you know, let's get it done. So just like talk about a warm, nice, loving person. I just love the fact that he still kind of wanted to come and talk to us, which is great. So uh, yeah, thank I mean, you, David. Yes, David, thank you so much for taking that time because again, this is a business. As much as you and I are are just, you know, sort of happy-go-lucky with this enterprise we have here on Overdue Rentals, it is part of the business. And that is working around people's schedules, yep. making sure we get to, you know, we get the, the films on time, making sure that we get to put, making sure all the ducks are in a row. And sometimes dates shift. Sometimes dates, sometimes things just get canceled out of nowhere. And ultimately it's nobody's fault. It's just yes, kind of... Yes that's what happens. And it is really nice that, you know, David was very dedicated to getting on the show. I mean, thank yeah. you again. Just, yeah. Yeah. But going back to Brian and Charles, I, I did see that Sundance. I saw it. Um, so like I had, it had been on my mind for a little bit waiting for it to finally come out, you know, because at the time we, we didn't get the chance to talk to him during Sundance either, but um, it's, 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 I, I find it funny that he that he did mention that a lot of people bring up the fact that they thought the robot was supposed to be uh, a representation of Jim Broadbent <laughs> because I thought about, I thought maybe I was the only one at first and it's not in the movie it didn't feel that way it was just it was just that original small picture that I saw that made me feel that uh, not so much during the movie so but I'm, I'm glad to see I'm not the only one. Well, thanks a lot, Matthew. Now Jim Broadbent's agent's going to sue because it's like well. Why didn't you ask Jim to, to come play the role of your robot in the film? Do you not like Mr. Jim Broadbent? <laughs> Look, you know, I, I think I think Jim's fine. I think he's 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 happy and content with whatever's going on on yeah. his side of on his side of things. Jim but Broadbent, the, come on our show. Yeah, but Brian and Charles is one of those movies where it's like you know, it doesn't matter. I think if you could be somebody who just watched it and didn't even laugh at it. But it's just like it's 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 one of those things. It's like it's heartwarming. It's like how can you deny what what just what it does? Even if you're just like, oh, I've seen it before. Who cares? It's just it's just a great little uh, you know heartwarming story. It is. I mean, you're you're watching Brian as a person unfold, and we open with him inventing all these things, and you know he's being filmed for this documentary that we really. I don't think we're ever really clued in as to what this project is, but. You yeah, know, that, was, that was that was my one thing when watching. It. I'm like, well, why are they why are they following this guy? <laughs> but you slowly see him unfolding and developing as a person because of his creation, and that's another lovely twist that I I you know we so many times we've seen something like Ex Machina where man creates a machine, machine becomes self conscious and self aware. And then machine wants to destroy us because that's the, that's our horrible impulses coming back to roost. But Brian and Charles is a, a different spin on that story. But instead of our destructive impulses, it's sort of like, you know, we're watching the development of an intelligence from basically from child to yeah. adolescent slash young adult. Yeah, it's it's much more of a father son story than anything else. Yeah. Just that son is a, is a large 
uh, older man robot. <laughs> um, who suddenly Science fiction, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it very much is that, and the, which is why it's more acceptable, I guess, when when Charles's petulance comes out at first, or you know, his misunderstandings of why certain things can and cannot be compared in terms of don't go outside, don't talk to these people, don't let people know this, that, and the other thing. Uh, as he slowly learns what's really, and then again, also uh, what it does to changing Brian for his confidence in, in terms of both um, people he talks to in town, women that he's interested in, to standing up for himself ultimately later on down the. Uh, that the especially was was really effective for me because just the the way that he inst- he not only becomes a better inventor, but the way that he instills himself with better confidence to save Charles. Mm. Again, the, that relationship is is so beautiful and so well-built that uh, by the end, it's like, no, please do not destroy this robot. Yeah. Like, you, if you just look at the poster, it is a very oddly designed thing. It's not a sleek, you know, high-budget yeah. <laughs> sci-fi creation. Again, it kind of looks like a, a, a rubber Jim Broadbent mask on like a washing machine. Which it technically almost is. I mean, it's not a Jim Broadbent mask, but yeah, it's a washing Well. Chris Chris Hayward, his co-writer, and, and the, who was inside this, the suit for for Charles, was not necessarily an actual washing machine, but that's what it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. And then y- y- having that voice, like that sort of auto-tuned voice for your robot, you can build a character like that, and it delivers all this dialogue with this stock voice. But you get the feeling, and you get what they're going for, and that just wows me. Where it's like if it's it's it reminded me of watching the first act of Wally, where like people are like, well, these robots aren't really going to be saying much in terms of dialogue, and some people are like very skeptical about that. But then you see how they build that rapport and build that story through those characters, and it works so well. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny too thinking about a David's choice to talk about, which is American movie, because. Um, it, it wasn't something that was on our list, but it definitely fits on the list. It's definitely an overdue oh, rental in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it was when he said it, it was just like it's so clicked for a lot of. I'm not. I'm not trying to say because he he even didn't say it that it was an inspiration for Brian and Charles in any way whatsoever. But when you kind of go back and kind of look at these things side to side, they are like almost sister films in a lot of ways, as far as both character types, presentation. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Yeah, and American movie was something that again, it was pretty big in its day, and for some reason at this point at this juncture in time, not only is 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 Coven never uh, still incomplete, but a lot of people don't really talk about the film anymore. And I remember this being, if I remember correctly, this was one of those big deals where not only was this that late 90s indie boom, like it's the same year that the Blair Witch Project comes out and becomes like the highest grossing indie movie of of all time. But if I remember correctly, this was another one where the lines between fiction and reality were sort of blurred because some people were, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I remember people thinking this was not exactly a documentary. I see that and that's, when when re-watching it and preparing to talk to David, I got not as upset, but I did get a little frustrated because in trying to search for the history, I couldn't find a lot of talk about it because I very vividly remember there being talk about the fact that it was 100% positive, not a documentary. 
that it that it was that it was you know a mockumentary if you if if we want to call it that except it wasn't trying to be Spinal Tap it was trying to be more like serious but still have yeah. comedy in the, in the in the sense of tragic comedy and I can't find anything about it it feels like it's completely the opposite um, I mean and the thing is if you go and look at his um, his IMDb credits and stuff like that I think the other short is listed as a real thing I can't remember the titles now uh, well let's see Coven was uh, or- not, yeah but not that not Coven oh, Coven was uh Coven. It's Coven. I'm sorry. I don't care what they say. Yes. The children were right on this one. <laughs> yeah, they were. But, but I, yeah, I very really very remember it being something that was like, oh yeah, you know, no, they they made this to to act like a documentary, but it wasn't. But I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, it's again, this is something that is so obscure that even doing just a cursory bit of research, it's like it feels like some of this stuff that we it, it's almost like a half mandala effect i guess that does not exist on this podcast right that's the one thing i'm gonna i'm going to strike from this podcast is any mandela effect crap because i can't do i know you're not i know what you're saying but i'm not I'm, yeah I'm, I'm saying like it's it's sort it almost sort of half feels like that in the sense that both of us remember this yeah. fluffle like is it real or not and you don't really see much talk like maybe it just maybe the film just kind of burnt out that quickly that it sort of was that those early internet days that things kind of got lost. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny too because you know he has had a career since. They're not big blockbuster films. He works on a lot of stuff, gets cast in a bunch of stuff. Martin, this is Mark, of course. Um, and you know, you figure if he really did want to make his movie, he probably could have made it by now. Oh, yeah. it's, it's never happened. I mean, after you've after you had a, a part in the one with Jet Li how do you go back to filmmaking? Well, he does. I mean, he still works behind the camera, right? Unless I'm going crazy. Um, lest I check. When I was checking before we we, we did the interview, I, you know, he still works behind the camera here and there, but not as a director. More of his, like, you know, miscellaneous different types of crew positions here and there. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a movie where whether or not now at this point we're going to say 100% real, 100% not real, doesn't make a difference because if it's 100% real, it's still fascinating. And even st- especially stuff with like, you know, with, with Mike, who's completely mentally gone. And yes, he may be um, having like bits, bit of, uh, bouts of cryptonesia where he like writes songs that are other people's songs, but his music is, is, is pretty good. And, and, he's, and he's solid at being able to play stuff like that. Um, or you go to the fact where they're pretending and it's just like, wow, that's, that's, Talk about top-notch acting if that's acting, you know? Yeah, and also just a, a very interesting story to put together if you're really faking it. Like, <laughs> it, 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 again, to your point, it really doesn't matter either side of the coin because either way, it makes for a very interesting and provocative sort of a, a conversation piece for people to just sort of dig into. Because again, late 90s, Stuff like this was just being flung against the wall. And this is like, this is a Sony Pictures Classics movie. And, you know, I remember first being alerted to Sony Pictures Classics existence Mm. around this time, because it was around the same time that a a mutual favorite of ours, The Spanish Prisoner, was released Mm. a a year or two earlier. And that's the first movie that really 
put that on the map. It's like Sony Pictures. What, what do they mean, Sony Pictures Classics? And then all of a sudden, the indie shingles of big studios just sort of flooded our consciousness to the point where at their height, people knew of Paramount Vantage or Warner Independent Pictures or one of the only ones that still remains to this day, Focus Features. Well, I mean, look, I'm also going to say this, and I'm not trying to get off topic a little bit, but... I'll do whatever you want. It's our fucking show. Technically, Searchlight Pictures does still exist, right? Yeah, that is one of the other ones that does... I think Searchlight was the cream of the crop out of all of them, ultimately. Oh, dude, yes. Yes. They, they, for some reason, it's like it's like the whole A24 thing. Even though A24 is just a distribution house for the most part, everybody thinks A24 has like the best the best options. And then, yeah, great. I understand why. And Searchlight Pictures was the same though. Like they were producing some of the the best indie stuff that was tied to the indie version of a big uh, corporate label. Oh yeah, yeah. They were definitely like they were one of the largest movers and shakers and like over 20 years of operation now them doing that and they've got some great stuff coming this year too uh i don't know if you've seen the trailer for see how they run but that yeah. is oh you know me in trailers i don't watch them so oh it's okay so i won't ruin anything but it's just basically it is a it's a whodunit it's a whodunit in like 30, I, I, i've seen the pictures of it yeah it's 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 yeah. it's a very wes anderson-esque uh yeah, but, it does look like a Wes Anderson esque whodunit, but just Sam Rockwell and Sorcerer Ronan already look like aces in this thing. Yeah, I just and, refuse to watch the trailer. I, I know what it is, but I just, yeah, I just haven't watched the trailer. I'm ready for it. Searchlight, if you want to send Matt and I to a screening right now, we'll go. We'll go together. Yeah. We'll cover the film. We'll talk to everyone in your beautiful cast. Send them over. Yeah, over we talk to Sam Rockwell about Moon. Uh, Sorcerer Ronan about Brooklyn. You, okay, I was about to say, okay, Brooklyn, got it, got it. Oh, I, uh, another I, sp- I, I interviewed, I interviewed, uh, what's his face for that? Uh, no, no, the um, Ethan, um, I can't remember his name now. Hmm. Well, I can't remember his name. I don't know. The kid from Place Beyond the Pines and, and, uh, Emery Cohen? Emery Cohen, thank you. Place Beyond the Pines is another one I want to talk about. I thought I did. I did press day for that one. That was another. That's another one that people, more people, need to talk about. I got. A, I got a story about that. When we, if we do an uh, do an episode on it, I'll talk about the story that I have about that Ooh. press day. Well, anyway, um, and I know there's a lot of people, and I know there's a lot of people in the in the see so yeah, how they run. Um, there's a lot of people talked about. Yeah, but Sam Rockwell and Moon is my top. Uh, my top of the list. Um, but back to back to American movie. I remember seeing American movie when it came out. Not when it came out exactly. I was definitely when his home video came out, but. And, I, and I, that's, again, I remember the talk being technically wasn't real. And so I didn't know how I felt about it then. And I haven't watched it since until rewatching it to, to get prepared for this. How much do you think that talk was fueled by the Blair Witch scenario? Because Blair Witch comes out summer 99. And that was a film that already blurred the line, that all, blurred the lines intentionally between is it real or not? And then it was like, this huge revelation to people that it was fake, even though I, I from the beginning, I was like, no way this is real it's hard for me to tell because the memory i do have of it is more than it was it was less than speculation and more about literally like no guys it's just not like you just being told straight out it's like that's what this is it's not as you know we just we we wrote, wrote and performed this to look like a documentary but it wasn't and you know a lot of times i i this i can't remember beforehand now so there's only one instance I know 
of currently something that was tried to be sold as a documentary that I saw and said, there's no way this is real. And then it was proven not to be real, but people still think it's real, um, which was Catfish. Oh, yeah. Because the Academy even refused to put it in the documentary category because they knew it wasn't a documentary. And people still think it's the documentary uh, and it's not. And like, that's a definitive thing to me where even though I thought American movie was definitive, I can't find the pieces that can tell me it was or it wasn't anymore. And I don't, and it's very confusing as to why. And don't, and yes, I'm not, that's where I'm going to leave it. I'm not going to bring up that other thing again. <laughs> oh, the Mandala effect? You know, not only does Mandala effect always piss me off every day people talk about it, it's just because it's just bad memories. Um, or like, you know, again, things where people twist stuff throughout the years and, you know, the whole, uh, you know, line deliveries for, you know, uh, um, I'm your father from Star Wars. The way people remember it is not how it's really said or, um, you, you know, all, all these famous instances where people just misremember things because somebody did a parody one time and the parody took off as what people remember it as. Um, but now I've been indebted, indebted, I'm sorry. I've been, um, I've been- Inundated? with an onslaught of videos, no matter what social media I go on, of people thinking that the fucking Hydron, uh, CERN Hydron Collider has caused more Mandela effects to happen. It was like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Uh, there's fun theories and then there's just crack pottery. Well, but this, again, a lot of people are taking his jokes and they just keep persisting with it and they shouldn't because it makes, makes the whole thing worse because there are people who there are people who just generally can't tell the difference between satire and reality and they take it as reality and then they're the people 20 years from now who are leading the new uh peanon movement whatever the fuck they're going to name it whatever you know and it's like there are still people who think that the birds are not real people are serious when they've even went on interviews that they were survivors of a mass shooting trying to show people how stupid it is to believe in all these things and people still think they're serious and now they believe that birds aren't real and they're robots sent out by the government. Yeah, sometimes the tail just catches up with the head and yeah. I didn't think I was going to get so angry today about this. But uh, talking about Brian and Charles in an American movie. Why am I so angry? I don't know. It's like, especially talking about Brian and Charles, it's like, you can't get angry watching that movie. Unless you're really one of those people that's like, oh man, this sucks. And it's like, what did you expect? Well, you know, the, yeah, there's no, there's no uh, accounting for people's tastes, uh, as we know. But, uh, and again, again, you don't have to like everything. You don't have to, you don't have to, you, you can love everything. It doesn't make a difference. As long as you get enjoyment out of something, that's all that matters. That's what I always say, but I will can still complain or praise things no matter what, because that's what I do. Well, yeah, we're critics. We do that. And we're podcasters, and we do that even more. And we talk about things even more. I can't. <laughs> Usually, I'd have my brain set where I could like just quickly jump in and be smart and like come up with something very quick and witty. It's just not there today, and I don't know if it's the Mandela effect stuff now that's just pissing me off. Quick and what, just... what are you doing on this podcast? Oh, this is not my podcast. What? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just, uh, final thought. Well, uh, I guess yeah. final thoughts, but I really did. I, I enjoy the, the ambiguity of American movie. Mm. And I, I don't, I, I kind of don't want to know if it was real or, and I, I kind of don't want a definitive 
thing. I'll just treat it as it is a film that people can make their own minds up on. And it's just, sometimes it's more fun to talk about those things than to ever get an answer. Which is very true, which is why now everybody should go out, cross American movie off their overdue rentals list, cross Brian Shaw's off of your overdue rentals list if you haven't seen it yet. Then come back to us, tell us what you thought of the movies. Email us, let us know how you felt, if you had the uh, same, what you, what you thought. Did you think American movie was an actual documentary or a mockumentary? And that just may be my final thought. And did the Mandela effect make you confuse it with American Pie? If you email us and say anything about Mandela effect, I will go crazy. Mike, where can people find us? <laughs> well, when we're not too busy trying to build our own robot companions or fund our indie films, it'll happen any day now. Or any even, day now. Or even when we are not trying to figure out if this show really does exist, if we're just a mandala effect of some other podcast you may have heard of. Uh, maybe Quentin Tarantino. Maybe we're, maybe we're just a mandala effect version of Quentin Tarantino's upcoming podcast. Mm. He's No, he's Lars. Oh, yeah, no. Quentin Tarantino, come on the show. But anyway, uh, if you want to actually search us out on the internet, which again, you're on the internet already. Why aren't you? You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to email us love letters, directions to the nearest coffee shop, or maybe uh, your own blueprints for a Jim Broadbent robot, Jim Broadbot, or no, Jim Broadband. He'd be Jim Broadband. Uh, if you want to email us any other really funny computer puns dealing with Brian and Charles, please email us at overtorentals at gmail.com. And if you just send us a message that says front, 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 well, that's too lazy. That's that. Do better. Jim, deeper into this rich film. Jim Bender. Jim Bender. Bront. Jim Broadbender. Yeah, there you go. Now we just need Jim Broadbent to say, bite my shiny metal ass. And that's, that, that's a goal for the podcast here. But do you know what another goal for this podcast is? Building, cultivating, and pleasing our audiences. Because if you're Brian, we're Charles. So you want to listen to our back catalog. That's perfectly fine. We encourage it every time we do the show because there's, look, there's some really, really good episodes. And that's not just co-host bragging that is real really good episodes in here uh clink crawford is it is one that i'm i'm pretty proud of uh matthew what, what, what's an episode you're pretty proud of i i feel almost dirty saying it because people who've already heard it and heard us talk about it know how insane it is to me ah, i think i know which one it is go on greg davies ah one of our best performing episodes it may be our best performing episode and oh it is yeah it is our best performing episode yeah oh yeah but well, with close co close competition with uh our outfit interview with dylan o'brien who's all another fantastic guest look yes all this stuff is out there waiting for you and if you want to listen to these episodes you can find them wherever you ethically source your favorite podcast delights apple podcasts anchor spotify audible a sponsor I still want to land on this show because Audible is just, they're Audible. But yeah, uh, you can find us wherever quality ear candy can be found. And believe me, the Dylan O'Brien one's fantastic. And so is the Greg Davies one. The Greg Davies, if, if, if I don't- Davis, yeah, I, I, always, I always say Davies first when I meant to say Davis, yeah. I remember correctly, Greg Davies was the one where we went in expecting one movie and came out with another. 
No, that was Alex. Oh, that was Alex. The other task. That was yeah. That was that was that was the Alex Horn version of the uh, effect. Uh, but last note before we leave you here, you're looking up all of this wonderful content. It's the stuff that I spiel about at the end of every episode. And if you want to rate, review, and subscribe to our wonderful show, I highly suggest it. I want to see more ratings on Spotify because last I checked, I'm the only one that voted. We need more input from you good folks because if we're going to keep the overdue rental shop open, we need to know how to stock the shelves. We need to know what snacks that we need to sell at the counter. And we also will take your input on what our membership card should look like. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoy listening to Overdue Rentals, make sure to support us by going to anchor.fm slash overdue rentals slash support to donate and keep us going to make better episodes for the future.